Come on, you can do better than that. Make some noise if you're glad to be in church today. Welcome to week number three of our series, The Not-So-Hidden Gems of Genesis. If you have been apart from week one, you know that week one, just a few weeks ago, we read through the entire first chapter in Genesis, beginning with the words, In the beginning, God which are the four most important words in all of the scripture. And I would submit to you in all of life, those are the most important words. Then week two, last week, we were in Genesis chapter two, where the emphasis is on the image bearers of God, you and me, how we were created by God to reflect his image, his likeness on earth, how we were given free reign to rule, to have dominion over all, the earth. Today, as we turn the page to Genesis chapter three, we're going to see everything literally turned on its head and that free reign to rule rightly and that opportunity to reflect God righteously doesn't last very long. In Genesis chapter three, one moment we're living in perfection. The next moment there is chaos and confusion. One moment there is no sin. The next moment, sin has free reign to rule in our lives. It's running rampant. One moment, we have perfect bodies. Come on, somebody. Perfect bodies. We, we had perfect bodies at one time. The next moment, and perfect health. The next moment, our bodies begin to break down with old age and with sickness and disease. One moment, we're living in perfect peace. The next moment, there is a world filled with anxiety and worry and fear and violence. One moment, there is unbroken communion between man and God. The next moment, that relationship is broken. It's in Genesis chapter 3, we get the answer to where did sickness come from? Where did disease come from? Where did anger, hatred, and violence come from? It's in Genesis chapter 3, we get the answer to uh, why is there so much injustice in the world today? Why is everything spinning so wildly and rapidly out of control today? Why are things not right in the world right now? Why are things not right in our own heart right now, in our own lives right now? It, but, but it is also in Genesis chapter 3 that we're given the answer to, is there hope for us yet? Come on. Is there hope for us yet? And if there is hope for us yet, where does our hope come from? What is our hope? Who is our hope and and can we ever get back to that place in the garden will we ever be restored again to God's original plan his purpose his desire his intent his design so wherever you're joining us from today in person online on television if you're joining us from one of the hundreds of prisons tuned in from all across the nation right now we welcome you we welcome you and as we welcome you can we just welcome the Lord together. Lord Jesus, we give you honor and, and praise. We, we give you free reign to rule right here and now. Would you speak to us through your word? And would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit wants to speak to your church today? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, could you honor Jesus one more time today? Genesis chapter 3. Week one, I introduced you to the overall theme of Scripture. Four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You're going to see this theme played out throughout the Scripture from beginning to end. And where we are in this series today, in Genesis chapters 1 and chapters 2, we're given the story of creation. 
And I want you to notice how Genesis chapter 2 ends with these five words. And they felt no shame. Matter of fact, I want you to read this out loud with me right now. You ready? Say it out loud. And they felt no shame. That's because there is no reason for Shame In the beginning, God, that's how the story begins, and they felt no shame. This is how the story ends. And I'm not just talking about the Genesis chapter 2 story. I'm talking about we who belong to Christ from creation to new creation. Revelation 21, come on, where Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new, and there will be no shame. Amen. You see, heaven is, it's more than a hope. Heaven, for those who are in Christ, is a guaranteed promise. And they felt no shame. This is how Genesis 2 ends. This is how the story ends for those who are in Christ. The fall, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3, establishes for us a most terrible dilemma that the entire rest of the scripture is written to address. And that's where we're picking up today. I would submit to you that apart from Genesis chapter one and those words in the beginning, God, there is no more important chapter in all the word than than this chapter. It is in Genesis chapter three where we're given the key to life, the most important piece of information ever conveyed to humanity. And, And should you choose to ignore this chapter, your understanding of humanity will never be complete. Your understanding of the world will never be right. Your ability to make sense of life, a fool's errand. You cannot make sense of life apart from Genesis chapter 3. If you ignore Genesis chapter 3, your hope for the future is nothing more than a pipe dream apart from Genesis chapter 3. Now, this is the moment where it is recorded the moment of man's rebellion against God. He who was made to reflect God rightly instead chooses to rebel against God's authority. And and if there's a better definition for sin, I don't know what it would be than this, that that sin is simply choosing to rebel against the authority of God. Sin is choosing anything but God, and there is consequence to sin. But what I love about this chapter is it's not just our rebellion that is recorded in this chapter. There is also within this same chapter the promise of one who will one day come to redeem and to restore a fallen humanity back to God. That there is in this same chapter the promise of one who will come to undo the corrosive impact of sin and to restore us to our innocence. And I love that God doesn't wait long to introduce us to this remedy. Matter of fact, as soon as sin is introduced to our story, the remedy for sin is given. And isn't that just like God? That that, that at the moment of our greatest need, and in the midst of our greatest failure, and, and in the depth of our most abhorrent depravity, Jesus stands at the ready, not to condemn us for our sin, but to offer us a lifeline out of our sin. Isn't it just like God? That he would give us hope for our future in the midst of our depravity. This is the story of Genesis chapter 3, arguably the most important chapter in all the Bible. 
And what I want to do today is I want to ask two questions. What happened? Let's look at what happened. Then I want to ask the question, what now? What do we do with what we now know from Genesis chapter 3? Let's read the first seven verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Where was Adam? I just point that out. We love to blame Eve. He was right there. And he ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So what happened? Because one moment they're they're living without shame. The next moment they're sewing fig leaves together to hide their shame. One moment that they're living in the perfection of God's plan, God's promise. There's no sickness, no disease. They've they've never had a bad dream. They've never had reason to feel fear. They've they've never known anxiety or worry. They've, They've never had a marital dispute. There's no anger. And all of that suddenly gets thrown out the window for a single piece of forbidden fruit. Like what in the world? Can I get an amen? Like what in the world? How could you possibly trade everything God's given you for one bite from a piece of forbidden fruit? And we're so quick to point the finger, but let me point out to you that this story of Adam and Eve is ultimately the story of us and that we make this same trade all the time all for a piece of forbidden fruit. How many marriages have been wrecked for one bite? How many reputations have been destroyed for one taste? How many families have been needlessly broken for one touch? How many promising futures have been permanently traded for the long lasting pain of regret, remorse? Because we think we know better than God. And that so oftentimes the rules just don't apply to us and we think it's worth it to compromise everything God's given us for a single taste of forbidden fruit. We're still living in Genesis chapter 3 today. And as much as we might have contempt for Adam and for Eve, they are but a reflection of you and me. And all they've really done is to show us what we would have done had we been given the same opportunity they were, they were given So let's unpack this terrible decision and understand how there is a a quite predictable pattern when it comes to sin. A pattern that James chapter 1 verse 14 through 16 speaks directly to where it says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Do not be deceived. 
There is a pattern to sin. It is a most predictable pattern. And I'm going to do something I've almost never done before. I'm going to give you the first five fill-ins right now in rapid order. Come on, somebody. I hope you're ready. Come on, get those pins clicking. This is the pattern of sin. It begins with doubt that leads to deception, that fans the flames of desire, that, that prompts a decision that you will regret and that will lead to death. Come on, that was the fastest five fillings we've ever done in the history of our church. Doubt that leads to deception, that fans the flames of desire, that will prompt an ultimate decision that will lead you to death. This is the pattern of sin. So let's break this down and see how this pattern plays out in Genesis chapter three, beginning with doubt. Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? Now, one of the sort of issues with this chapter is it's hard for us to imagine any, anybody, let alone a woman, being tempted by a, a slithering snake, right? Come on, it's like, how's a snake going to convince anybody to do anything? But, but see, we, we only know the snake in its, in its post-fall form. We, we don't really know what the serpent looked like before the fall. After the fall, the, the serpent is cursed. But before the fall, the, the word he, in, in Hebrew for crafty one, it also means one who shines. There's reason to believe that the snake could have been one of the most beautiful creatures in all of creation. And it makes sense, right? Because Satan, before his fall from heaven, was the most beautiful worship leader in heaven. And it is unlikely that he's lost his taste for glitz and for glamour. It's, it's why 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. He loves to dress himself up and look pretty. He loves to clothe himself in such a way, not, not to appear like God, but to appear as God. And so in whatever form the serpent is approaching this woman, what we know is the woman wasn't afraid of the serpent. She's engaged in conversation. It's just another day. And what the serpent does with Eve is what he does with us every single day. He gets Eve to question the word. Did God really say? Martin Luther said of Satan that no man is able to outwit the devil. He's been at it for thousands of years. He knows every trick in the book. Don't try to outwit him on your own. You're not going to win. Now, we know that we have authority over Satan by the power of the Spirit of God, but I want you to notice that in this moment, Eve is not relying on her God-given authority. She's leaning into her own personal intuition. And our personal intuition is no match for an enemy as crafty as this one. Another question might be this. Why would God have allowed this conversation to take place in the first place? Like, like why would God give Satan access to the garden? And, and my best answer is I don't really know. Other than to speculate that, that the desire that God has to have a relationship with you and me that is much different from the relationship he has with the rest of creation. Not, not a forced relationship, but, but a chosen relationship. You cannot have a chosen relationship, but with a choice. Aren't you glad gravity can't wake up one day and decide not to be gravity just for a few moments? 
Aren't you glad the sun doesn't have the decision not to shine? The moon can't make the decision not to orbit. The rain can't decide one day, I'm just not going to fall. Aren't you glad the oceans teem with life because they were created to? Come on, somebody. And the wind moves where he tells it to move because the wind was made to obey God and to follow his commands. All of creation obeys God because it was made to. We were given the choice. That means the relationship that God has with you and with me, it's different from from the relationship he has with all else that was created by him. It is deeper. It is more meaningful. We're not robots. We have the free will to choose God or not to choose God. And what brings God greatest pleasure is when we walk with him because we choose to walk with him, because we want to walk with him, when we serve him because We've chosen to serve him. We've chosen to trust him when we worship him because in our hearts and in our minds, we've determined that, that he alone is worthy of our praise and of our worship. He loves, he loves those moments when his people choose to lean into him. Had we never been given a choice in the garden, had man never been tempted to rebel against God, what good would our obedience really be if it is nothing more than a manufactured and hardwired obedience. God gave us a choice. Now Eve's response is interesting. When she's asked, did God really say? And it's quite subtle, but she does two things in this moment, in her answer. She actually adds to God's instruction and she detracts from God's promise. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. She's already detracted from the, the promise. Because if you line that up with Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, here's what God really said. He said this, you are free to eat from any tree. You see, she's left out the you are free part. I think that's kind of a big deal. I don't know about you, but you start to take words out of God's mouth. That's, I don't know. I don't know. You're free. You're free. That's the first thing God wants her to know. You're free. She's already forgotten the first thing. And then she adds something. She says this, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Which is almost right, but it's not quite right. It's not wholly right because she just put words in God's mouth. What God did not say is, and you must not touch it. He did not say, and you must not touch it. She's understating God's promise She's overstating God's restrictions, which were not put in place to keep her from something good. It was to preserve her goodness. It was to preserve her life. It was to protect her, to cover her, to guard her. And I would just say this, church, the moment we begin to detract from what God has spoken, the the moment we start to take away from what God has said and we start to put words in God's mouth, what we are doing is we are creating an image of God in our own minds that is not God, and we are constructing our own religion, and that religion will fail you. It will fail you. So she starts to doubt, did God really say? I'm not really sure that's what he meant. Maybe what he meant to say was this. And in her doubt, she opens the door to deception. And this is where the serpent strikes. You will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. In, in the, 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 the moment of her mixed up reiteration of God's promise, the, the devil just comes out with a, a bold-faced lie. You will not die. See, you, you'd be just like God, and he's trying to keep you from being just like him. And in the midst of that deception, there are fan the flames of her desire to be like God, to be like God. It's really no different than what caused the, the devil to fall. He wanted to be like God, though who can be like God? Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and on the earth. There is none like him. And yet the moment we think we can be just like him, not just a reflection of him, but just like him. And that desire begins to take root. Watch out. Because here comes a decision that you will live to regret. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. I, I want to pause right here. And if you, if you have your Bible open, I, I would love for you to just, just to make a little note in your Bible or use your message notes. But these are the three temptations that, that every single one of us must learn to overcome. Possessions, pleasure, power. My pastor used to say this, Chad, if you're going to fall, it will likely be to girls' glory or gold. I mean, just look at history. That'll tell you, right? It's not that girls are bad. It's just if you start to desire too many at one time, come on, any girl besides your wife, that's a bad day. It's not that, it's not that um, having authority or power is wrong, but when you live for power, when you live for authority, how many of you have seen power corrupt? Some really intelligent, great people who start off, well, it's not that possessions are bad, but when your, your love for possessions, when your love for money outgrows your love for God and you start to live for that instead of living for God, there's a problem here. Possessions, pleasure, power. This is what the woman is seeing in this moment. There's greed in her heart, and chances are it will be the same for you. Your fall will likely be the result of one of these three things, your desire, your love for possessions, your love for pleasure, or your love for power. So she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to men for, for a moment because um, in, in the book of Romans chapter 5, there is this passage, and I'm going to read just the first three words right now, and, and then we'll pause. I'm going to give some commentary, then we'll finish this, this passage. But it says this, when Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, I'm not letting women off the hook here. I'm just saying, why is Adam the one who's being called out and not Eve? Why is Adam's name right here in this verse and not Eve's name? And the first thing I would say is because Adam was with her. Come on. He was with her. He was not off doing some godly thing all by himself while his wife was choosing to rebel against God. He was with her. But I think it goes even beyond that. I would submit to you that there is nothing less like God than a weak, 
and passive man who lives without a backbone, with no real conviction to stand on, with no real desire to lead and to protect, while all the world around him is neck deep in sin and suffering, he's just standing idly by. God is nothing like that. Thank God that God didn't just stand by while we were neck deep in our sin and in our suffering, but that he would choose instead to step down deep into the mess and into the filth of our lives so he could bring us up and out. Besides that, Adam walked with God before he walked with Eve. He knew God before he knew Eve. He had a relationship with God before he had a relationship with Eve. And as wonderfully and beautiful as she must have been, Eve is no substitute for God. Eve is no substitute. I do wonder what it might have been had man not been so woefully passive. I I imagine we may have gotten one or two chapters more, but likely not many more beyond that. I do wonder what the world might look like today and and how this culture might look just a tad bit different if if today's men would choose to stand and to lead with Holy Ghost conviction and with the real spiritual backbone as the devil has been given free reign to do what he wants to do in this generation. I wonder how many men would say, we're going to let the devil know not today, not on our watch, not in this generation. You don't get the final word. You don't have the final say. We're going to exercise the authority we've been given in Christ, and we're going to join in this battle. The Bible says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so that death spread to everybody. Why? Because that's what God said would happen. Sin always leads to death. God said when you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I do wonder if for a moment Adam and Eve might have thought Satan was right because they did take a bite and they did not drop down dead at the moment of their sin, but there was so much more happening behind the scenes than they could have ever possibly imagined. Spiritually, they had just died. Physically, they begin to die. Their children will die. One of their sons, Cain, come on, isn't that just a a beautiful portrayal of Cain? (laughs) Out of jealousy, murders his own brother. Murder is introduced to the first family because of sin. They're Children will die, their grandchildren will die, their great-grandchildren will die. Every generation that follows will die. They do begin to sense something change and shift. They, they do begin to feel the full weight of the shame that they've brought upon themselves. And so what do they do? They sew fig leaves together and they make covering for, coverings for themselves. And it's the same thing that, that we do. Our most natural response to sin is we try to cover our sin because we're ashamed. <laughs> Nobody wants to feel sh- Shame, and so we try to cover ourselves, our shame. We try to clean ourselves up. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. 
which here again we see Jesus present in Genesis. But they chose to hide from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And again, the pattern of sin is always the same. Our response, it's always the same. We do exactly what they did. We try to hide our sin because we're afraid of how God might handle us, of, of how we might be treated in the church. We're afraid. We, we don't want to show up. We start coming up with all the excuses. I, I got a new job, so I'm not going to be available to serve on Sundays. But really, it's just you've been out late on Saturday nights doing things you shouldn't be doing, and you don't want anybody to find out. Oh, I, I can't make it to, to, to small group tonight. My, my grandma, what, what, what about your grandma? I don't know. I just was thinking about her. <laughs> Actually, she died 13 years ago, but I... I really just don't want to show up to small group because I'm, a, I'm afraid that somebody might actually know that I'm, I'm just like them. Then the man said to God, the woman you put here with me, this is deep. If you want to know how, how, how full of mercy God is, right here ought to, ought to give you everything you need to know. Because he's not just blaming the woman, he's blaming God. You put her here with me, God. She gave me some, and I ate it. The woman said, well, if he's pointing fingers, I'm going to point fingers too. It was the serpent who tricked me, and so I ate it. We do the exact same thing. We, we compare our sin to other people. Well, don't look at me. Look at them. That person's way worse than I am. They're doing far worse things than I've ever done. We cast blame. Anything we can do to deflect attention away from ourselves. Don't look at me. Look at them. Don't, don't talk to me about this. Talk to somebody else. But I want to back up real quick because we actually skipped a verse. We skipped verse 9. As Jesus is walking in the garden, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Church, this is so foundational to the Christian faith. This is what sets the Christian faith apart from, from every other world religion because our faith doesn't start with how do we find God. Our faith begins with God coming down to look for you and for me. Come on. The, the big difference. <laughs> Not how do I make myself right with God. How has he made me right through Christ Jesus, at the moment we go into hiding for sin, he comes looking for us, not to reject us, not to condemn us, but to heal us, but to restore us, but to forgive us of our sin. The moment we confess our sin, he's faithful, he's just. He, he says, where are you? Who told you that you're naked? 
And I have a feeling they didn't even have to give him an answer, Adam. It's like I, nobody told me I'm naked. I just know I can, I can sense the shame of my sin. The woman, she just, she knows she's full of sin. Nobody has to tell me. I don't need a Bible verse to tell me how broken I am. I know I'm a broken person. I ate it, said Adam. In case you didn't know, I ate it, said Eve. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Come on, even as Christ is present with them, not, he, he, he's in the, the, the form of a man walking in the garden, but he's not of flesh and blood, not yet, not yet Christ the Son, born of Mary and conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's with them, but he's already promising the day that he will clothe himself with flesh and blood. I will crush your head, and yes, you will strike my heel on the cross and you'll be real proud of yourself, devil, but just remember, I'm going to crush you. You don't have the final say. And I love that in Genesis chapter three, at the same moment sin makes its entry, the solution who is Jesus is promised. God doesn't make them wait for it. God doesn't make them sweat it out. They're trying to. They feel like, they, well, we, we ought to sweat it out. We, we deserve, you know, some space, some, a time out. No, God comes looking. He comes searching. He comes asking, where are you? Who told you? Just as sin was introduced to mankind through the first Adam, the, the second Adam, who is Jesus, is promised. He who will rid the world once and for all of all sin. And I love how God responds to Adam and to Eve. He, he does two things in this moment. The Lord God made garments of skin to cover them. First blood sacrifice in scripture is in Genesis chapter three, where God kills an animal and takes the skin of that animal and he covers their nakedness. An act of grace. And then God banishes them from the garden is also an incredible act of grace on God's part. You see, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever in his sin and with the full consequence of sin. So the Lord God banished him from the garden. He placed on the east side cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. See, don't, don't lose the heart of God in this moment. The Lord God banished them from the garden, not to keep them from the tree of life, everlasting life, but to guard, to guard their way to the tree of life. He's guarding their way to everlasting life. Not, not allowing them to be bound forever in their sin, not allowing them to forever be enslaved to their sin, but he's making way the path to a life of freedom, of wholeness in Christ. And this is what the rest of the Bible is written to address. 
God literally making room, creating space for his redemptive plan in Christ to be fulfilled. Making sure the way to everlasting life. And you might say, well, what is the way? Jesus said it in John 14. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven but through me. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who on the cross died a sinner's death because he chose to in order to pay the price of sin that we could not afford to pay. And just as that first blood sacrifice in Genesis 3 covered Adam's sin and shame and Eve's sin and shame in that moment, so the blood of Jesus on the cross covers our sin and shame forever. Come on, church. So what now? That's what happened. What now? Well, forgiveness is a promise. Heaven is a promise to all who put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus. And just like Adam and Eve confessed, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Why? Because everybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved because of the promise that God has given us, because of how good God really is, because of how full of mercy and grace and compassion God is. What did the fall accomplish? It, it, the, the fall made us lower than dirt. That's what the fall accomplished. Our sin makes us lower than dirt. I'll prove it to you. Second Samuel chapter six, David and his men are moving the Ark of the Covenant from Philistine territory back to Jerusalem. And as they're moving the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence has, has chosen to dwell, the ark begins to tip, starts to tip over, and a man named Uzzah thinks, I'm going to do God a favor here. And so he reaches out to touch the ark, to, to, to straighten the ark. And the moment he touches the ark, God strikes him dead. And even David is mad about this. He's like, come on, God. Like, he was just trying to help you. But apparently, it would have been better for the Ark of the Covenant to touch the dirt than for the Ark of the Covenant to touch sinful man because where the holiness of God's presence dwells, there is no room for sin. The fall made us lower than dirt. So what did Jesus do? He put on dirt. He put on flesh and blood. He took our sin upon himself. And he made a way for us to not be low as dirt, but to be made right with God. And some of you, this is how you feel right now, lower than dirt. I've sinned so badly. I've, I've done so much wrong. My mind is just filth. My heart is absolute garbage. 
But when God looks at you, he sees a person created to reflect his image and his likeness. He sees an opportunity for forgiveness and mercy and grace and peace and hope and love. He sees a purpose that he preordained for you before ever you took your first breath on earth. And the moment even you who right now feel lower than dirt, the moment you confess your sin to him, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you. He will forgive you. So I'm going to ask you to do two things with me right now. When you walk through the doors, you should have received the elements for communion. I'm going to ask you to take the, the piece of bread off the top of that cup and hold that piece of bread in your hands. If you've been forgiven, this is a moment as we pray for you to simply thank him for salvation, for the promise of heaven. If you've not been forgiven, but you want to be forgiven, now is the time for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. When he took the bread and when he broke the cup, uh, took the cup with his disciples in the upper room, he said, anytime now you do this from here on out, you do so in remembrance of me. That's what we're doing right now. So with that bread in hand, would you pray with me and say, Jesus, I need you. I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me through and through. In Jesus' name, would you eat the bread right now and say, thank you, Jesus. And with the cup in hand, would you hold that cup out and say, Jesus, this cup represents your blood that was poured out for me blood that covers all my sin just like that first sacrifice in the garden so you chose to sacrifice yourself for me but God my faith also says this that you did not stay dead you rose out of the grave three days later you are alive forevermore and so not only do I ask you to forgive me of my sin but would you fill me with your Holy Spirit would you raise me from death to life everlasting? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Y'all drink the cup. Let the devil know not today. <laughs> if you just prayed that prayer with me, hell just lost another one. Come on, somebody. Hell just lost another one. You just let the devil know, not today. And if you let the devil know, not today, would you do the next best thing? Would you let me know that today you made a decision? Here, here's how you can let me know. I, I want to know who made a decision today. And so there, there, there's a connect card that you were handed when you walked through the doors today. If for these next few moments, if you could take that card, first and foremost, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, please tell us. I want to know who you are. Our team wants to know who you are so we can celebrate with you this week. If there's a need in your life that you'd like prayer for, I want to know what that need is. Our team wants to know what that need is so we can be praying for you this week. And if you're a first-time guest joining us right now and, and this first experience, is, it's now fresh on your mind. Why don't you just leave us some feedback? Tell us what God just did in your life. 
takes just a few seconds to fill out that card. You can drop the card in one of the offering buckets. They're gonna be passed in just a moment. But until then, I want us to celebrate together how the generosity of this house is making a difference far and wide beyond these walls. So would you cast your attention to the screen?